Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the CPF Firewire, a podcast from the California professional firefighters. I'm Brian Rice and I'm the president of CPF. On September 28, 2019, the California Fire Foundation, a nonprofit of CPF, is holding the 17th Annual California Firefighters Memorial Ceremony in Sacramento at Capitol Park. And this year, we are honoring 34 men and women who gave their lives to protect their fellow Californians. These annual ceremonies give us a chance to honor the strength and sacrifice of our fallen brothers and sisters, and also the families that they leave behind. Uh, Joining me today is one of the courageous survivors, Ashley Iverson. Ashley's husband, Corey, was a CAL FIRE engineer and a member of CAL FIRE and Local 2881. On December the 14th, 2017, Corey lost his life battling the Thomas Fire down in Ventura. And we honored Corey's sacrifice last year at the memorial, and Ashley has graciously joined us today to talk about how she and her girls are doing and the work that she's doing to uh, honor Corey's legacy. So, Ashley, um, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you, Brian. It's a privilege to be here. And I'll just we'll just have a conversation. I, I just want to have some questions and we'll just jump in. How's that? Shoot. Um, I, Ashley, I'd like to start by asking you to talk a little bit about Corey and tell us what he was like. Ooh, I mean, he was a crazy guy. He was fun-loving and wild. Um, He loved firefighting, and I loved him for that. Um, He was steadfast and dedicated to anything he put his mind to, and he worked his ass off. How did you guys meet? Oh, well, if you really want to know, to be honest, we met at a lesbian bar on my 26th birthday. Uh, I was there um, with some friends. Uh, I was living in the gay district of San Diego at the time, celebrating my birthday. And uh, we had a blackout uh, that went, uh, went across San Diego County the year before. And they said, well, let's go to the lesbian bar gossip. They're having a blackout party. Yeah. Okay, fine. So we, we were walking in, and I was looking down at my phone waiting for everyone else to come in, and Corey struts by me. He goes, hey, you're cute. And I looked up. I said, well, hey, thanks. So are you? Are you gay? He said, no. Are you? No. All right, then. I'll see you inside. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was that? Uh, on September 8th, it will have been... Six years. Wow. And how long after your first meeting did you guys get married? Seven years. Uh, a year later. A year later. Just, wow. Just over a year later, yeah. And it, was he already a firefighter when he you was. guys got married? He, he was a hotshot at the time working for the feds. And typically his pickup line was he was a dolphin waxer. And he t- actually told me the truth, that he was a hotshot. And I laughed in his face because I didn't know that a hotshot was an actual thing. I just thought he was puffing his chest. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah. um, Do you remember what hotshot unit he was a part of? He was with Bear Divide. Bear Divide. Actually, my best friend was a Bear Divide hotshot, Dale Turner. 
Sorry, a little shout out to Dale. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, you know, as firefighters, we all know that there's a certain risk of, of not making it back home, not making it back to our loved ones. Was that, was that ever anything that you and Corey discussed? Uh, not directly. It was kind of, you know, an unspoken uh, elephant in the room, if you will. Uh, but it was a point of topic with friends. Um, I was I was working doing hair and makeup at the time, and I remember friends would ask me, you know, are, are, does it freak you out when he's gone? Because when we really got back together um, after he came off his season with Bear Divide, he went back with Cal Fire and was working in Hemet on the helicopter. And to a lot of people, that's very scary and high risk. And to me. I didn't worry about it because he was doing what he loved mm -hmm. and I was so proud to be with someone who was passionate about what they were doing. And so, yeah, it was nerve wracking, but I, I, I was more worried about the commute and, and him driving so much to get to and from because uh, for a year he traveled uh, 400 miles one way every wow. week to, to come home because we had just had our baby. She was two months old when he uh, accepted the uh, FAE position. My whole fire service career, I mean, I've been married 35 years. Your situation sounds very much like mine. We just didn't think about that. And um, it, it's what you did, you know, just, just like you knew Corey loved it. My wife knew that I loved it. We never planned for anything other than a lifelong life together. Did you guys ever, did you, did you ever have a plan for the possibility? Well, that I'm not going to say happen? that there was no angst. I mean, that the fear definitely creeps in, but, um, we had the respect, um, established that there, there, he would check in. Right. And so I knew that if I didn't hear from him, it was because there was no reception and that's, you know, that's the check in once a day kind of thing. We, right. we enabled, and encouraged one another to be individuals. Uh, and, and I think that that's where our relationship thrived because we, we, were, we were allowed to be individuals. This is actually, this is just even tough to ask, but when you learned that Corey was killed in the line of duty, what was it like to get that news? Oh, I mean... I'll just kind of play by play what happened that morning. I woke up and um, he had left for the Thomas fire the day after it broke out. So he was already there for nine days, something like that. And and one of the days that he was there, I didn't hear from him for almost 24 hours. And that was the first time that that had happened. And so I that angst was there, right? And when he checked back in, he let me know I was in the black and um, I, I didn't have reception. Reception was really bad out there. And so that morning, I knew he was coming off the line and was supposed to have a 24-hour reset day. And I got up and I, and I got... Uh, breakfast ready for Evie, and I tried FaceTiming him. Well, I found out later that the time that I FaceTimed him was after it happened and before they were able to get him out of there. Um, and what else was very significant about that morning was it was his, his grandfather's 80th birthday, and his grandfather was dying of cancer. It was like his third or fourth battle, 
and I told Corey two days before it happened, you need to call because I don't think he's going to make it to Christmas. So I, um, I loaded up Evie to go and meet up with his, his grandma and gram- grandfather, his aunt and uncle, and his cousin to take his grandfather out uh, on Lake San Marcos for a little birthday mm-hmm. thing. I called um, Lori, his aunt, as I was on my way, and I said, I'll, I'll be there in 10 minutes. She said, okay, we're getting grandpa down to the boat. And when I pulled up, I saw... Lori's car and I saw grandma's car and I saw a Cal Fire car. Um, Corey's uncle is retired Cal Fire. And so I thought, well, that's weird, but maybe he's, he borrowed a rig to tote grandpa around for the day, something like that. And I, I got Evie out of the car and I picked up the cake and I went to the left and I saw Stephen, his uncle, come around my car on the right. And the look on his face, I said, did, did Grandpa just die in mm. the 10 minutes it took for me to get there? Get there. I, no, it was Corey. And yeah, then, you know, then, then, then everything just just closes in. It's, it, I've, I've said it before. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day in San Diego. And, and then everything it goes black. I still saw sunlight, but it's the tunnel vision that that they try to they try to emulate in in movies. And I fell to the ground, and uh, I I stood back up, and my shoes had come off. And Evie Evie said to me, "Mommy, mommy, you got to get your shoes back on." So I picked her up, and and she was my only line of vision at that point in time. And I knew in that moment I I needed to tell her I was never going to lie to her or pretend that this was not our reality. And I picked her up, I looked her in the eyes, and and I said, Evie, baby, Daddy went to be with God today, and he's not coming home. And she just started sobbing into my shoulder. I know that in the days and, and months after um, Corey died for you initially daughter and then daughters how did how, how was the fire family um, for, for you guys how 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 have we how have we been um, in areas of support and and trying to um, help you guys get get through this before I go into that I, I would like to say that if to the people who are listening to people who have listened to me say words in the past i hope that instead of being a beacon of what can happen to them um i can be a reminder that there is life after death that um when you breathe uh you you are brought back to the present and there's a there's a way of living to where you can either have the perception that life happens to you or it happens for you and to walk in gratitude and love that's when things unfold in the most unbelievably beautiful way 
right after I found out. All I could think about was the the uh, hotshot crew um, that was burned over in Yarnell. And so I asked uh, Tony Meacham, who, who else was hurt? And he said to me, nobody. And I felt genuine gratitude. And mm-hmm. I think that that opened up a window for me to have my world just explode because in the darkest moment of my life, I was able to feel gratitude. And that gratitude has only grown. It's grown from the fire service. It, it, it was, I, I, I can't even wrap my head around the amount of support that we, we, we received. It, it was almost, a, no, not almost, I felt guilt about it. Mm. The, the following day, um, I thought to myself, what about all those people that lose a spouse and, and have a, a, a handful of people as support. I literally had thousands of people, people f- across the world thinking about my husband and me. And it, uh, this experience, the, the, the best way that I can describe it has been terribly perfect. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is one of the worst circumstances that I, that I can conjure up. Uh, but what has come from it has been mind blowing and absolutely amazing. So I, I attended Corey's memorial. How big a role has faith played in your recovery? You know, I, um, I have faith that I am not, the center of the universe. I have faith that God is out there and he is uh, uh, enabling me to walk through doors that he has opened. And he also allows me to break down doors that have closed to my face if I want to. I've learned that walking through the, the open ones is a much better path to take. <laughs> um, path of least resistance is, is a better one, in, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, I keep my faith, my faith, um, and, and a lot of people have decided to, to read my words on social media, and, and I choose not to say Jesus, I choose not to say God a lot of the time, because I feel as though that ostracizes people who don't believe that. And and I choose to live more out of love than putting particular phrases on what I say, because the the thoughts that come through my my fingertips are for everyone and they're love-based and, and that's all, that's all I, I want and, and want to perceive where they're coming from. I'm going to let the, the reader decide where that's coming from. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about your foundation, the Iverson foundation for active awareness. And, um, you, I've talked to you a little bit about it and I had a little bit of an epiphany moment on what, active awareness really is and what it means. Um, and, and it was, it was I, I, for, for somebody who thought, oh, I do behavior, I do this, I do that. It, it really opened my eyes to really think about the phrase active awareness. Where, how, did you, how did you land there? And what, oh, is it, what does it mean? Um, what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to the mission of your foundation? I landed there through living. 
Um, I have I have battled with anxiety and depression for three quarters of my life, and I was very fortunate to marry a man that didn't understand it. Uh, so to him, it was just 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 keep going. You're good. You got this. You know, and it was good to have that backbone and that that um, uh, support. Um, but it was hard. It was hard having a marriage with without that understanding that I don't want to be upset. I don't want to be anxious and, and sad because everything is fine. You know, everything's good. And it wasn't until Ryan Mitchell, uh, one of his colleagues, took his own life uh, on November 5th, a month before Corey left, uh, and Corey had to backfill for him. So that, you know, meaning he had to go and uh, replace the work that Ryan left behind. I saw fear in Corey's eyes for the first time when he came home. And I think it's because it put a tangible reality to what I struggled with into his life. Mm. So fast forward a month, Corey leaves, and I started asking his colleagues what level of mental and emotional health care do they receive on a regular basis. Now, this is not... um, this has nothing to do with a specific incident. It has nothing to do with after bad calls. I, I will never um, downplay the need for peer support and higher level of mental health care. But my question was geared more towards what's happening in the workplace that enables you to decompress in a healthy way. And that answer is nothing. Yeah. Well, our decompression is our way. Yeah. And if, and if an outsider saw it, they would probably be appalled. It, it, you, it's our you way. Are, you have been trained, let alone the fact that you're men, and so you're raised and then trained to be machines. You cannot feel. If you do that, then, then it's, it is weakness, which is so false because you are humans. You know, it's like I, this awareness was brought to me as well. I never thought about all the lives that were not saved. Mm-hmm. I never thought about all the homes that were not salvaged and what kind of implications that will have on an individual over 5, 10, 15, 30 years. They're, they, you, they are expected to just put it in the bank and just keep moving. And so what the foundation came to be is to one raise awareness for within within the industry outside the industry that there is an epidemic of poor mental and emotional health within first responders as a whole yeah uh, to help reduce the stigma that tells them that they are machines that they cannot feel and then help shift the culture um, cr- help create a culture that encourages them to not only learn ways to be mindful and present, but also practice that. You know, the best way that I have found to describe that is they're given fire shelters to put on their backs, right? Well, they're not just given the fire shelters and in the hopes that they're never going to use it. They actively practice how to use it in the case 
in the off chance that they do need to use it. Uh, it's, it needs to be the same with behavioral health. They're, they're going to work, they're eating together, they're sleeping together, they're working out together, and they're doing the job together. Why are they not sitting down together and practicing good mental health? Yeah, when I, when I sat and really thought about active awareness, and I think it's almost the baseline piece of, of being to, able to diffuse and instead of internally compartmentizing things, you get it out in, and you get it out in a healthy way. There's always going to be gallows humor and some of the things that we do professionally. But I do think you're, it, it decompresses us, but it's not always the healthiest way to do that. And I yeah. think that that whole mindset of um, active awareness it's kind of a precursor. And I like we have fire prevention. This is, you know, behavioral health um, crisis prevention. I guess that's the way that that I would look at it. It should be looked at as as training. Yes, it's, it is training the brain that should be categorized as a muscle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then when when things do happen, when when you are hit with something traumatic, you you have practiced and you are more aware of what it is inside you as an individual that will get you through that event faster and stronger and healthier and healthier. Thinking about um, the Firefighters Memorial this year, mm. and um, you are going to be one of our speakers. Thank you. For and that. as a surviving spouse, this type of a ceremony or a memorial, what is the impact for survivors as firefighters? You know, we're paying the honor, we're paying the tribute, and it is heartfelt. And and loss affects each of us um, if we're a professional, but it does not affect us like it does. A family or a spouse, and you know how is it? How is it going through that ceremony? What I guess this year we're going to have a lot of survivors there. What's it going to be like for them? Oh, it's another. You know, to answer that, it's it's another perception kind of thing. Uh, each individual person is just that. They're individual people, and their grief process is going to be different, uh, whether it's the same person or the same circumstance or same, you know, everybody's going to have their own path. Um, but when I would go to those ceremonies, man, it's just unbelievable the amount of honor those men and women are given. And so I'm just awe-inspired. Uh, when I when I attend those ceremonies or or even celebration of life, it's just oh, it gives it gives me chills just thinking about the the amount of respect and honor that that they are given. Um, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that that uh, I I had a man that that chose me to be his, and and he is looked up to in such a in such high respect. What do you and the girls do to keep Corey's memory and to keep his presence with you on a daily basis? Well, we talk about him every day. Our house is uh, basically a mini shrine for <laughs> Corey. So that's... Um, oh, I, you, oh, that's a... That's a 
It's a, it's hard, Brian. It's it's hard being a parent uh, left behind because I've got all these thoughts in my mind. It's like, okay, so I want them to grow up knowing their daddy, and and I and I and that's the hardest part. It's like I, I why couldn't he have just been a deadbeat? That it's like, well, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter that he's gone anyway. But he was he was one of the best, and and now they. They missed it, and one yeah. of them never even knew him at all. And so, we just talk about him, and 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 I try to I try to jog my memory. I have the worst memory. I try to tell stories, and I'm so grateful for videos and pictures and a little girl that has a memory that is far beyond mine. So she she reminds me of stories that that we've got, and he's just with us all the time. I think, and and I learned this from somebody else. Um, if you lose somebody, always talk about them in the first person as if they're there, yeah. and not not go to the past tense because it, it just seems that, at least for me, that it it just seemed that it keeps that memory brighter and stronger. They're there; they're just not physically there. Yeah. Just because, you know, it's just that concept of just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. Going forward for us, for firefighters and, and you as a survivor, we all kind of find ourselves in a spot. We want to we want to say the right thing, but it's awkward and we don't know how. And we probably say it best with our with our eyes and, and just our posture. But I guess I'm looking for advice. What helps? Presence. Um. But again, this is an individual thing, you know. So for me, it was the actual presence of individuals, just knowing that I'm not alone, right? And so that that was what it is for me, what it was for me. But but each individual person is just that. You have to be aware of what they are asking for, Um and and be cognizant of that you know it it it's a push pull you know i could i could have just taken all these individuals all these firemen saying that we've got your back we're going to be there for you and i could have just taken it that and expected them to show up and check in weekly or daily but it's it's not it's that's not reality i needed to invest in the relationships that i felt as though that were going to fill me up and now today i consider uh, nick schuler the man who gave me the news part of my family and it's just it's not it's not what he he did it is who he is yeah we spent some time around nick and he's a rock and so is tony yes um what do you think Corey would say to you about your journey and where you are today oh oh I'm proud of you. I knew you could do it. And I love you. Ashley, just thank you for being with us today and uh, sharing your experience. And thank you for um, being willing to uh, come to the memorial and, 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 and just and, and really be able to rate, relate to the spouses and the survivors and, and the the men and women that have lost loved ones. I just want to thank you for that. 
Thank you for today, and and thank you for the the greatest honor that I have come across um, being able to speak at the memorial. I oh, I'm so honored, and I'm so grateful. We appreciate that. And with that, this is the CPF Firewire. It's a production of the California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Farah Dayani. Our engineer is Matthew McDermott. I'm Brian Rice. And I want to thank you and join us again next month for another episode of CPF Firewire. Thanks again, Ashley. Thank you.